Hey, everybody. My name is Gene Marks, and welcome to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. Andrew Zimmern is a TV personality, a chef, a writer, a teacher, and a social justice advocate. He has also spent decades in the restaurant industry and has plenty of advice to share. During our conversation, Andrew talks about the challenges facing independent restaurants, the need for chefs to delegate more, and opportunities in the restaurant business in the years to come. So if you're a restaurant owner, you're going to learn a lot by this conversation. And if you're a business owner, trust me, you'll learn just as much. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Glad to have you here. Listen, uh, you know, uh, you and I were talking before we started recording this. I have so many things that I want to talk to you about. Um, but, you know, you know, really, we want to stay focused in this 20-minute conversation on, on the restaurant industry. And for business owners that are, are running restaurants, thinking of getting in the restaurant business. Um, so before we actually jump into some of your thoughts on the industry itself, let's first of all establish the fact that you know a lot about the industry, which you do. I know you're on, you know, you, you host TV shows, you're a chef, you're a writer, you're a speaker, but give us a little background, Andrew, about your life in the restaurant business, please. Sure. Started working in restaurants when I was 14 uh, during summers and one day a week during the wintertime. That was all I could beg my parents to do. Uh, Took five years, five and a half years to complete college because I took three semesters off to go work in different parts of the world in restaurants. Uh, returned after college uh, to New York City and worked in restaurants in Los Angeles and New York uh, in kitchens, managing them. Worked for a year for the number one PR company in New York um, uh, just to learn everything that I could uh, about the restaurant business and the restaurant industry. Um, was involved in restaurants my whole life up until about ooh, 20 years ago part-time and 15 years ago full-time when my TV career uh, took off and it was no longer tenable for me to maintain a full-time position uh, in the restaurant world. Um, and obviously that's when I became best known to uh, my fans and many of your listeners. Uh, however, uh, I've never strayed far from the restaurants. I own uh, a stake in several restaurants. I'm a, a operating partner in one of them. Uh, I am a strategic investor in about nine of them. And I'm on the board of a, uh, a very large and very well-known hospitality company uh, here in the United States as well. Um, and I teach entrepreneurship at Babson College in Newton, Mass. I'm actually an entrepreneur emeritus there. I've been doing it for about nine years. I own three businesses here in the Twin Cities separate from restaurants. I have Passport Hospitality, which is uh, uh, the operating partner, the, the conduit through which I do my restaurant work. Uh, we have a marketing company called Foodworks, and I have a production company called Intuitive Content that makes TV for myself and other people. So I know a lot about restaurants, and I know a lot about small businesses. And you're also a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition. What is yes. that? Yes. Uh, we started that in more. Well, actually, it started about five years ago. We just didn't have a, a name for it yet. A bunch of us decided that we were kind of sick and tired of, of doing these gala dinners and raising $100,000 and throwing it into a bucket that had a hole that was $105,000 wide. Um, it, 
we still, do, I still do the galas, the, the, the group of chefs, we still do a lot of these things. We just decided that policy had to become our love language. And we just all got really active on Capitol Hill. Um, if, if, if we want to end uh, hunger in America, we can keep raising all the money that we want, but that hasn't made a difference. We have to actually change laws. Um, and so to that end, I'm focusing on childhood hunger and making my tentpole uh, cause the uh, a national school lunch program, for example. Uh, I, I, I realize every year a different organization is asking me to be their spokesperson during the summer because kids can't get food. And uh, when the school is not in session, uh, we saw that come out a lot of that discussion during the pandemic with schools not being in session regularly. And we, we provide everything else for kids, you know, who go to public schools. We just don't provide food. And it, it, that's, that's a horrific, we, you know, we make everyone pay for it uh, one way or another. And if we had a national school lunch program, we could invest in nutritious, healthy meals for our children because we know that kids that eat well have better outcomes. So why wouldn't we do it? It's, it's, it's not that we can't afford to, we can't afford not to. It's a great organization and, and it's great that you're working with it and I, and I wish you success with it. Um, let's talk about restaurants right now. I mean, you know, short of operating a restaurant in Pompeii around 79 AD, uh, this was probably one of the worst years for restaurants worldwide in recorded history. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you know, Andrew, what do you, what has COVID done to the industry and, and where do you think restaurant owners should be going from here? Well, I think the first thing that it did was it 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 showed us where our our weakest links were. Right. It showed us uh, the mistakes and the uh, the 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 weaknesses that we had spent decades ignoring, putting our heads in the sand. I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, the restaurant industry was extremely brittle and fragile going into COVID. Uh, I remember when I started in restaurants, you know, a lot of restaurants brought 17, 18% to the bottom line, and people still didn't think it was a great business uh, from, from a money-making standpoint, because of that 18%, half of that had to go back into the business. You know, you got to buy new ovens and new whatever and paint the place and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, you have to make reinvestment in yourself. And if you were in a business that was returning seven, eight, nine percent, you'd start to question, well, I mean, if I just stick it into a money market fund, you know, I can get a number approaching that, right? So why go through all the headaches? Well, the reason was is that we loved what happened when we saw our dining rooms full and we saw what happened when food hit the table. I mean, I'm addicted to that feeling. I'm mm -hmm. addicted to the hospitality of it. I am addicted to the rhythm and the drama and the theater of it. I'm addicted to every, the romance of it. Um, and over the course of the, you know, 40 years plus that I've been in this industry, uh, profit margins have shrunk. Average independent restaurant, I think is at seven and a half, eight percent 8%. Well, the reason it's so low is we, we've just, we've destroyed ourselves fumbling and stepping over ourselves, trying to do the right thing, provide paid vacations uh, for our key staff, give people a living wage, uh, you know, uh, taking a hit on menu price so that we could fill up the dining room and try to make money on liquor, right? That's the other big myth. I, I have friends, I, I call it the parable of the chicken. 
um, I ask every person who's had a restaurant for 25 years or more what they charge for their half chicken dish on their menu when they opened and now. And most of them, it's just a couple dollars more, you know, uh, usually like anywhere from 15 to 20% more is what they're charging for their chicken. I used to charge $22 uh, in 1995. Now I'm charging 20, you know, 650, right? That's 20%. However, all their other costs have gone up hundreds of percentage points, if not more. And so the we have artificially deflated menu prices to, to align with the public's perception of a value proposition uh, to the point where, and, and you know this as well as I do, every single conversation that when you're talking about starting restaurants, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna make money at the bar, right? Well, that's becoming increasingly difficult too as everybody's uh, attentions have been pulled as customers in one way or the other. So the, the issue is one of fragility. We also had our Me Too uh, experience. We've been a sexist, racist industry for the longest time. Even the, the idea of tipping is one that has its roots in systemic racism in this country. So we really needed to take our business apart brick by brick and rebuild it so it was stronger and better. COVID blew it all down. Yeah, it almost seems like COVID is like a cathartic experience for a lot of restaurant owners. And it also seems, um, based on what you're saying, is that um, it, it seems like there's a good percentage of restaurant owners that really shouldn't have been in business in the first place. Well, of course not. I mean, the, the, I've never, my phone rings every day, at least three times a week, we get a call from people who are not in the restaurant business who want to start a restaurant and would like me to front it for them one way or another, design it for them, uh, consult for them, uh, be the face of it, whatever. Every, I, I mean, how many times have you sat at a restaurant and had all the other amateur restaurateurs at the table chime in with, well, they ought to do this and the seat should be less comfy and these lights, and it's too noisy. And I mean, we're all amateur restaurant uh, critics. And the, it, it is, I've yet to see, I mean, look, I guess some people watch Legends of the Fall and turn to their, you know, movie mate and said, wow, I could ranch. Uh, but, but, but very few do. No one like, you know, uh, you know, fixes a leaky faucet and says, I'm going to be a plumber. Everyone goes out and has a great meal and is like, my God, I got to get in the restaurant business. Um, it's, it is extremely alluring and very sexy and it's a lot of fun. But you're right, there are a lot of people who shouldn't be in this business. Now, I, I will say it's not my job to tell anyone what they should or should. You want to be in the restaurant business? Go right ahead. What I can do, though, is try to make sure that the industry is less uh, volatile for restaurateurs, that they are safeguarded as best they can. And, they, and, and we get back to it. We, we have to get to a place where we're professionalized in the sense that we are, uh, we are offering compensation commensurate with other jobs of its type, with other, uh, uh, you know, rights and responsibilities, you know, we have rights and responsibilities as owners to provide a safe and caring work environment for our employees. And, you know, I think one of the biggest rising costs of the last couple of years for restaurateurs has been training as people have come in, taken jobs and left, taken jobs and left. And if we professionalize and eliminate that constant retraining cost, which, by the way, is very, very large, uh, I think that will go a long way to helping uh, drop numbers, uh, drop money to the bottom line. 
Andrew, you know, it's when I, uh, when my kids were little and I was coaching little league, um, I, I could be actually pretty discriminatory. Like when kids would try out for the baseball team, I could pretty much tell in like 30 seconds if the kid was like a ball player or not, you know, sure. the way they throw the ball or the way they sure. move around. You know what I mean? Like you could just tell you, you know, the same's gotta be for you when you meet people that are looking to start up a restaurant, like, you know, you maybe it doesn't take 30 seconds, but I am sure you meet people that you were like, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're going to be right every time, but you're probably saying like, there is no way this person should be running a restaurant versus the people that you do meet saying like, you know what, this person, th- th- this person is going to succeed. I can tell. What is it, you know, coming out of COVID? What, what are the factors of like a restaurant owner when you look at them that say to you, like, this person's got it. This is the right person to be running a restaurant. I think running a restaurant, you need to be tireless. You need to be incredibly creative. Look how many times we've been asked to pivot as entrepreneurs and business owners over the last uh, 13 months. It is, it, is a, it is an incredibly demanding uh, industry. You, you, you have to understand, you have to understand food, you have to understand wine, you have to understand uh, the consumer and what they desire. And all three of those things are often incompatible and you have to find a way to make them compatible within your space. That is a very, very tricky uh, business plan idea, right? But it, it is something that you have to have figured out. You have to, you know, tirelessness, I think, is the single most important characteristic. I am, I cannot tell you how hard, I mean, you know, give up weekends, give up nights, give up days, you give up everything as you are operating a small business uh, because it requires hands on, hands on deck all the time. The other thing that you need is a really good editor. Um, I have a lot of friends who are chefs who went into business for themselves and the ones that are successful, the ones that got a strategic investor who was also going to be the, not just the person who put the dollars in, but the person who managed the dollars and managed the business side of the equation. Chefs are extremely smart people. They stand at the forefront of finance and immigration and public health policy and food safety and chemistry and the create creation of menus. So they're artists. I mean, and on and on and on. Chefs are the most creative people that I know. I was the most ge- genius people in the world. However, you can't spend 23 hours a day working. You have to take care of yourself. So it's vital that you have someone you trust and someone who can be your editor, someone who can walk into the kitchen and say, as good as this dish is, it shouldn't be on the menu and here's why. You need to have somebody who you go into business with. It's like a marriage. You have to have somebody that you share that experience with. Your, your, your chances for success, the outcomes, positive outcomes are greater when you have uh, strategic partners that you trust. Do you have to be a good business person, you know, even if you are an excellent chef? Don't you yes. need those skills as well? Yes. But, but at but least you're, at least you're using – no, but at least you're using the managing uh, your schedule and where you're going to buy milk or eggs or red snapper or beef from that week. Right. Right? I mean, right. let's use your business skills in your areas of core competency, Right. Most chef owners, you know, you can't do that and then get, you know, the, the night that the, the Kimmelmans are coming in for with party of 12 with a tasting menu for their 30th wedding anniversary, spend two hours dealing with an HR issue. 
right. those things are going to pop up. Most people don't understand that a successful restaurant is, let's just pick an average number for an independent restaurant, $3 million a year operation with 100 employees. When you put it that, when someone says you want to open a restaurant, the first thing I say is, are you ready to manage a $3 million a year business with 100 employees? Right. Because right. it's that it's those last two figures that scare the crap out of people. What really? Because they they look at it as I'm just putting out lunch and dinner. I got ten people in the kitchen. It's like, well, you don't really. Well, let's talk about that because um, you had mentioned earlier about staffing, and you're right. You're running a three million dollar business with a hundred employees. You know, having people skills seems to me to be one of the most important criteria of running a restaurant as well. And again, if you're a brilliant chef, you're you're like an artist. It's you can't be everything, but what what do you think that restaurant owners need to know about staffing, even in this in this new world of staffing, to succeed? Well, restaurant owners probably already realize it because they're either a good at the staffing equation or b they've constantly suffered from it, uh, which means that you're the wrong person to be doing the hiring. Uh, it is a very very specific talent to hire and train employees. Um, we, there's a partnership that I'm engaged in here in the twin cities. We have three restaurants. Um, the, we had enviable turnover, you know, we had people with us a year managers and stuff like that before they would go off to other ventures. Uh, we were very successful in Minneapolis still are. So obviously our people are the first ones that people try to steal, but it wasn't until we actually brought in a strategic partner to be in charge of hiring, training, and long-term strategic growth that all of a sudden we started to retain employees at twice the rate that we had before. And we found that people on average were staying with us two years instead of one year. And now it's grown even beyond that. And, and the reason is, is that we have someone managing the process of onboarding, training, and most importantly, figuring out ways in which to retain those employees to make them be an actual part of the team as opposed to just saying they're a part of the team. Now, I know there's a lot of listeners saying, hey, I have a, I have a little diner. We can't have someone, that, that sounds like a lofty title. I can't have a vice president of staff of HR or something like that. Well. Actually, you can. You can just assign that workload based on size of restaurant to someone else who's already in the restaurant. I had a small restaurant uh, a couple of years ago where we had someone in that position, and they also were our lead waiter. They were just in charge of all of our training, and they were in charge of our strategic growth as well because the, the this f- fantastically talented human being uh, went to college, got a business degree, uh, got married, started having kids, husband was working, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she wanted a part-time job. She said, I love serving people. I love waiting tables. It's a great way to get some money. The kids were old enough. They were involved in after-school activities. So here was someone who had the skill set to take on more, and she was right under our noses the whole time. Funny, you talk about um, the different things that business owners, a restaurant has to be. And, you know, you, you, you are kind of consistent along one theme, uh, which is delegating. I mean, you, you've literally said, you know, you could be a talented chef, but you need that editor or that manager. You need that business partner. You need that HR manager, um, strategic partner. It's like you can't do it all yourself. Well, chefs, chefs are ego-driven. We want to do it all ourselves. We believe we're the most talented person in the room. Yep. And, you know, sometimes... 
sometimes I might be the most talented person in the room. It still doesn't mean I need to take on every job. It still doesn't mean that I even should be offering an opinion on every job. The, the best thing that a, a real business leader can do, whether you're the chef in a restaurant, the general manager, the owner, the head bartender, whatever, is delegate. And by that, I mean, be very specific with someone else, whether it's a strategic partner or a someone who reports up to you about what the expectations are and let them go out and deliver it. If you let people know how you're going to measure them, my, my experience is, is they more often than not deliver. What happens is we have weak leadership. I call it weak cup of coffee leadership as opposed to a strong cup of coffee. You want to be a strong cup of coffee leader, you know, one who's up early in the morning, one that people respect, delegate and give people an understanding of what's expected of them. I know that sounds like, you know, Fisher Price, my first business, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, toy. Yeah, it's I, can't, I can't tell you how many people I speak to in the business world, whether they own a hardware store, a shoe store, restaurant, whatever. I can't tell you how many people do not have clear, identifiable goals and job descriptions for all their employees. The minute you have that, you have something to, that, that people can report to and you have a way to hold people accountable. I wanted to get your thoughts, uh, just free Thorm on some, some you know, trends that are affecting the restaurant industry post-COVID, okay? Um, first is self-service restaurants. I see a lot of restaurants, you know, minimizing, we're talking about staff, but looking to minimize staff, robotic hamburger flippers, yep. sushi makers. Yep. What are your, what are your thoughts on self-service I'm, restaurants? I'm bullish. Next, <laughs> delivery services. We've had a lot of restaurants been fighting the Grubhubs and the Instacarts. Bullish. And the, also bullish on them. What are your Double thoughts bullish. on delivery services, good or bad for restaurants? Uh, good, but they have to stop their usurious practices. Uh, municipalities need to step in and create percentage caps uh, on those businesses within municipal hubs. We are dealing right now with our Hennepin County Commission. Minneapolis is in Hennepin County. I've been talking to Hennepin County commissioners about introduction of legislation, because remember I talked before, policy has to be our love language, sure. uh, to cap providers uh, in the city at 15%. Yeah, it would seem like uh, if the industry comes to some type of a mutual agreement with the delivery service companies, um, the love can go around. So, um, Well, of course, it's beneficial for both. Of course. I, don't, I never understood why they're fighting each other, but now I, I, knew, I mean, I do understand. I don't know why yeah. they don't come to some resolution. Okay, finally, um, chains versus independent restaurants. Is there a future for independent restaurants, Andrew? Uh, maybe not. Why do you say that? The saddest piece of uh, COVID-19, chains have uh, lines of credit banks. They can rely on uh, units that are producing better and, and mothball units that are producing less. Um, you hear a lot of talk for the first time uh, on the front page of the newspapers about independent restaurants, ones that are not chain oriented. Now, let me explain what independent restaurants are and aren't. Uh, independent restaurants are the second largest employer in America after the US government. Uh, they are a trillion dollar plus industry that does not include the surplus, uh, the supply line and pipeline going into them. Uh, it does not 
uh, account for the halo of businesses that are around them, like uh, hotels and, and other things that work in concert with restaurants to attract tourism and stuff like that. When you add all that up, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. Independent restaurants are roughly around 12, 13 million employees. Uh, when you add in the uh, other parts of the supply chain, hotels, tourism and stuff, it's uh, 40 to 50 million. The single largest number of employees on the unemployment lines right now are those that had jobs in independent restaurants. Single one source of unemployment right now. This, we, we, independent restaurants account for almost 5% of GDP. We cannot allow this group of businesses to fail. Yet because they're all single uh, owner operated mom and pop, they're their own LLCs, they're restaurant groups that have maybe 10 or 15 restaurants, but each one is its own standalone businesses. Those are business, those are, that's still an independent restaurant. Um, it, is, it is scary to me that we've now seen uh, about 40% of restaurants in America close. I believe there's another 15, 20% that are dead they just don't know it yet and if we do not get the restaurants act passed in the senate and the well in the new congress and new senate we are going to see an extinction event for restaurants and that scares me very much and i'm talking about 75 to 80 percent of independent restaurants closing well come on let's end this on a good note please you're depressing me i live in i live in philly and i walk around center city philadelphia and the numbers that you just said match you know, many restaurants are closed. They're Absolutely. shut down. It is. It's pretty depressing, Andrew. I mean, you know, regardless of who returns, whether it's independent or even the chains, do you think the restaurant industry itself will recover anytime soon from this? Uh, I think it's going to be uh, a recovery that's measured in uh, single digits of years, whether that's two years or five or six or seven, really depends on what the financial backstopping is that we get from the, uh, from the Fed and from the states. I, I, can, I can tell you this, I'm still bullish on restaurants. And the reason is there is no more creative, smarter, better group of people than the folks who own and operate independent restaurants. As the industry itself is being kneecapped, as they are literally being shut out and going out of business, they're pivoting, 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 pivoting to try to add any dollars to the bottom line that they can. But more importantly, you know who's still feeding frontline workers? The restaurant industry. We are the second responders. We are still giving. The, the size of the heart in the fighter is what determines how many times you get up off the canvas. And there's no one in the fight that has a bigger heart than people in the restaurant industry. Andrew, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Great insights, great advice. And uh, I hope some of your forecasts do come true. So again, thanks for your time and best of luck. Uh, anything I you want to plug before I let you go? No, if, if people could, uh, you know, Discovery Plus now has all of my TV shows. And for all things Andrew Zimmern, go to andrewzimmern.com. Thank you very much. And someday we'll have a chance to talk about your, uh, your, your, your love for maggot-infested cheese. I, but Kasu that will Marzu, be, my favorite. It's another topic for another time, please. I just you, ate my you lunch. You don't like maggot poop cheese? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Like I said, we'll talk some of it. What's time. wrong with you? Andrew, thanks so much. See you you later. Take care. Andrew Zimmer is a TV personality, chef, writer, teacher, and social justice advocate. In February of 2020, he returned to television with What's Eating America, which premiered on MSNBC. And in 2021, he will premiere Family Dinner on Chip and Joanna Gaines' Magnolia Network. 
My name is Gene Marks. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you'd like more advice and insights to help you run your business, please come and visit us at paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. And we look forward to seeing you next time. This podcast is property of Paychecks Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.